welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 31, headlined by Islam Mahashev and Tiago Moises in a pivotal lightweight scrap between a guy that just can't get any opponents and one guy that's trying to get a ton of respect, especially if he's able to pull off the victory as a plus 450 underdog this weekend. Um, very much looking forward to this fight, uh, not to mention a couple other good spots on the card. Matias Gamrod going up against Jeremy Stevens, which should be a great fight in its own right. And then obviously the return of Misha Tate going up against somebody who's looking to go into retirement in Maureen Renault. So I can't wait to see how that fight plays out in itself. So as we always kick off these cards uh, or these podcasts the first thing that we're going to go through is the betting recap of UFC 264 which was the last event and I got a little bit overzealous going with the double lock of the night play for that not happy with myself the first play that I made was my lock of the night play my initial one was Max Griffin five units at minus 190 got a little bit overzealous you know that luckily that one hits not the way that I wanted it to I wish it played a little bit safer but Max Griffin still ends up getting his hand raised and that's what matters at the end of the day but then it was just all downhill from there my five unit play on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson ends up crashing especially with that fight being 1-1 going into the third round he just was not able to stop the takedown and grapple heavy approach from Gilbert Burns, which really opens your eyes to the statistics that uh, Wonderboy had, especially with his takedown defense. I believe it was closer to that 85% afterwards. Uh, then the two Dogs of the Night spots end up crashing with the Anaconda Sky at minus 1.5 units there, and then minus one unit on Jessica I at plus 165. I thought that uh, bet held a ton of value. She went out there, fought for her money, made it a closer fight with the cage control, uh, combinations, volume. Uh, she was really able to put a, a a lot of that onto um, Jennifer Maya, but Jennifer Maya was just able to land a lot of good shots in terms of being able to land the more impactful shots, the more significant strikes, and that's exactly what the referees ended up scoring. I will say this though, that that um, headbutt that ended up happening in the second round, uh, I believe that was way more of a detriment for Jessica, especially with how much blood was pouring down her face. I felt like that definitely played in part with the judges, especially for some of these close rounds. And I'm not even sure if the judges to this time or to this point know that cut was actually caused by a headbutt and not an actual strike. But regardless, Jessica I comes out on the losing end, and we come up on the losing end as well. Minus 4.87 units on the night. Again, the only bright spot being Max Griffin, which should have been, again, the only lock in the night spot. Not to mention, uh, I shouldn't have gotten overzealous and taken the Wonderboy Thompson spot as well. So we live and we learn. We continue moving forward. We stay transparent. We let you guys know what's up. And that was a losing event, minus 4.87 units there. Uh, that brings us into UFC Vegas 31 where we're looking to bounce back, not to mention Bellator 262 going down on Friday night, which I do have a lock of the night play and dog of the night play for. So we're hoping to get two straight winning events this weekend so that we can get back on to the winning track. With that said, I do already have all those plays posted on the Patreon. I won't be posting the plays until Friday evening. So a lot of people won't be able to see the plays until Friday evening. They will be free to the public, but the line may have moved a little bit on several of those plays. So we'll see how that plays out. So if you guys want to support the Patreon, patreon.com slash MMALOTN. That's the best way to do it. Link is in the description below. Five bucks a month, all access to the picks, not to mention the best bets and props article, not to mention uh, the Discord community, which is absolutely lively and super positive and super dope. And then we have our prize picks tips that we go over through uh, with the Patreon and a bunch of other great perks. So make sure you guys go check that out second plug that i want to throw out there coolbet.com coolbet slash uh use promo code mmalotn2 that's the best way to go out there and um 
you know, take full advantage of it. They match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Uh, take full advantage of that. They allow you to parlay props. That's something that a lot of websites don't allow you to do. Uh, and not to mention, they have some solid limits as well that you should go out there and have, uh, you know, a decent amount of time and not get banned or limited by your by your bookie or anything like that. So make sure you guys go check out CoolBet. Once again, that's CoolBet.com. Use the promo code MMALTN2. That's the number two. And they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. All right. I'm going to quit the blabbering. Let's get into the episode. Hope you guys enjoy the breakdowns, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Rodrigo Nascimento versus Alan Baudou. We got minus 335 on Nascimento and plus 275 on the Frenchman Alan Baudou. Uh, we'll start off on the Nascimento side of things, who's coming off a loss to Chris Taukis last time around where he got knocked out in 45 seconds, but he just did not seem to be in the best of shape, not to mention his striking definitely needs a little bit of work. Before that, we saw him go out there and ground Dante Mays time and time again, eventually finishing him early in that second round, and we definitely see that his go-to is to go out there and try to get the fight to the ground and get a submission game going or at least get a ground and pound to get his hand raised. Nine or eight out of his nine fights all have finished on under one and a half. And I do think with the Alan Baudot side of things, seven out of his 10 fights finishing under one and a half, it gives us the concoction that this fight more than likely will finish under one and a half. Prime striker versus grappler matchup here. Nascimento wants to close the distance, get the fight to the ground and find that finish. Whereas Baudot wants to keep this fight on the feet and find that finish with his strikes. The issue with Baudot is he's more of a light heavyweight. I've seen him compete at light heavyweight in the past. More uh, specifically, his fight against Todd Stell back in TKO before coming to the UFC. That was a fight where going up against a guy in Todd Stout, who's mainly a striker, likes to go out there and take his opponent's heads off. Stout decided to go out there and try to grapple fuck him, push him up against the cage, land a takedown here and there, and then eventually get a submission in that third round, which he was able to do. Um... In the second round, close to the ending of the second round, we saw Todd Stout with a very close arm triangle choke opportunity. And luckily for Alan Baudot, he was saved by the bell. Uh, but in that third round, we did see Stout manage to get that position once again and then eventually finish that fight via rear naked choke, showcasing that Baudot really does not have much to show off of his back. Takedowns come a little bit too easy, as we saw in the Tom Aspinall fight, as we saw in past fights as well. And with Nascimento being such a big opponent compared to Alan Baudot, I'd be very surprised if Nascimento struggles to get this fight to the ground. I do think he'll get to the ground, get it to the ground, and all it's going to take is one takedown. As I do think that Nascimento will find that submission early in this fight. I like him in that first round. I'd be surprised if either of these fighters find themselves going into the second round of this fight. And even though Alan Baudot has a striking advantage in this fight, I'm not sure if he truly has that crazy knockout power that it, you know, even if one punch lands on uh, Nascimento on the button, that it's going to put him out or not. With that said, the difference between Baudot and Chris Dalkis is that Dalkis has that speed and precision that's really been helping him out, uh, especially with exaggerating the power that he has in his hands, because speed definitely beats power, especially if that punch is able to get to his opponent a lot quicker, as Dalkis has shown in his last several fights, and that's something that he's been working on time and time again to implement against his opponents. He knocked out Parker Porter, knocked out Nascimento, and then obviously most recently knocked out Alexei Olenek. I just don't know if Baudot has that in him. I do think it'll be easy for Nassimento to close the distance I think it'll be easy for him to drag this fight to the ground and then I think it'll be easy, even easier for Nascimento to lock up that submission I'm going to call arm triangle choke first round for Rodrigo Nascimento 
Francisco Figueredo versus Malcolm Gordon. We got minus 310 on Baby Figgy, if you want to call him that, and plus 255 on Malcolm X Gordon. And a lot of people are pretty much on the Figueredo train thinking that Malcolm Gordon is just going to go over there, fold, and just give up the win. And although, you know, his last two performances against uh, Amir Albazi and Sumadarji seem to give you that thought, I don't know if Figueredo is the guy that's going to completely go out there and follow through with that. Now, he seems like he fights similarly to his brother David and Figueredo going out there stalking his opponents and pot shotting them landing big big strikes and more often than not getting the victory but he did showcase you know some spots against Jerome Rivera especially in that third round where it seems like he was starting to gas out and Rivera was you know having a, a last uh, round comeback but he was able to survive that en route to a decision victory but there were times where he needed to land takedowns to kind of conserve his energy and and get his own game going from there but I do think that he will have <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think that he will have the success in terms of landing the big shots against Malcolm Gordon and eventually putting him out. The thing with Malcolm Gordon is he's been putting together training camps with Joseph Altolini trying to round out his striking game, but we truly haven't seen it work out to the best of its abilities it just seems like he doesn't react well to being hit clean on the button and I think that's where his issue is going to lie here against Francisco Figueredo he's gonna have to I believe Gordon is gonna have to stay on his bicycle and wait for the proper opportunity to close the distance and land a takedown and eventually try to submit Figueredo but I do think that he's gonna struggle in doing so especially with the power that's going to be coming his way from Figueredo I do like Francisco in this spot I completely understand why he's at minus 310 but I'd rather be taking the shot on his inside the distance uh, his parlaying options are not too bad either I wouldn't be mad at anybody parlaying him in this spot but I do feel as though that if he doesn't get that kill shot in this first round things are going to get very very difficult for him especially if he looks to go out there and you know grapple fuck Malcolm Gordon especially if Malcolm Gordon uh, is able to showcase his uh, black belt in jiu-jitsu very effectively um, with that said though I do like Figueredo here it's very hard to back Malcolm Gordon especially how he's looked inside the UFC had a decent run on the regional scene before coming to the UFC but he's always shown an issue in terms of being hit and touched by guys Yanni Sherbatov especially was able to land big on him early but uh, Gordon did survive land a takedown and transition that into a submission but I do think that there was an injury occurred uh, or incurred on the Yanni Sherbatov side which allowed him or which didn't allow him to truly uh, uh, defend the submission that was coming his way from Malcolm Gordon. But I do think that Figueredo will have success with his striking. I think he'll find that chin of uh, Gordon, and I think he'll eventually put him down probably in that first round. So once again, I'm going to go with Francisco Figueredo uh, by KO, but another spot that's actually very intriguing is the under 2.5, roughly around that minus 140 mark, as I do think that this fight does not go to a decision. Both guys are capable of a finish, uh, but I do think it's going to come from Figueredo, and it's going to come from him early. I think he gets him out of there probably in that first round via KO. Anderson Dos Santos versus Miles Johns. We got plus 155 on Dos Santos and minus 175 on Miles Johns. Miles Johns coming off a very successful return, especially after getting his uh, first ever loss, uh, pro career loss, I should say, where he got uh, finished by Mario Bautista. And then he comes back and gets a win over Kevin Natividad, finishing him in the third round in a fight where it looked like he was trying to ground the fight over and over again, but was very unsuccessful as Kevin Natividad did a good job in terms of keeping the fight upright up against the cage. But he was giving up a bunch of control time as well as eating damage from Miles Johns, who was on the offensive for pretty much the majority of that fight. 
as we saw in the third round, a little bit of a blatant glove grab to keep Kevin Natividad within range. And uh, Maz Johns was able to uncork an absolute nuclear bomb on Natividad, which ended up finishing him there. But good one for Maz Johns to get back on track. But it does feel like this fight against Anderson Dos Santos will be even tougher for him to overcome. Anderson Dos Santos, it seems like, you know, he was getting into that territory of a guy that you can continuously fade with, with some good talent. But now it seems like he's completely... Um, engulfing himself and accepting the fact that when he creates chaos he's able to get more success against his opponents and that's exactly what he was able to do against martin day last time around successfully landed a takedown but creating chaos on the ground we saw martin day get back to his feet but for some reason martin day goes out there and goes tries to go daniel cormier on his ass leaving his neck out there and anderson dos santos locking up a submission choke and getting that guillotine choke victory for himself so good win for him there but he is very good in the fire like he likes to throw wildly because he doesn't care about getting taken down because he can rely on his jiu-jitsu which is good enough i believe to find the submission every now and then but i do think that he's going to struggle here in terms of getting that off early which leads me to my next point which is i think that miles johns is going to have to deal with the chaos and the forward pressure of anderson here which should gas him a little bit earlier which should give anderson dos santos some more success the later that this fight goes the later it goes, the better it is for Anderson Dos Santos, in my opinion. I think the earlier it is, Miles Johns probably gets a knockout, but I do think that Dos Santos is durable enough to withstand that and then eventually come back in the last uh, later rounds and finish him. Now, another fight that's kind of similar to what Miles Johns could potentially put onto Anderson Dos Santos is the Nad Naramani fight. The difference between Nad Naramani and Miles Johns is, is it seems like Naramani has a little bit more to his striking game than what Miles Johns brings to the table. Miles Johns is a little bit more of that Reisler type of striker, which is wild looping hooks, one and done type of things. Just try to, you know, put that power on his opponents to kind of just get them to, to move back and give, give them some hesitancy in terms of going forward, especially with the power that's going to be coming their way from Miles Johns, whereas Nadir Amani was kind of picking apart Dos Santos for the majority of that first round with the striking, with a little bit more of a varied attack. Um, that's when after Nadir Amani in the second and third rounds, that's when he starts landing the takedowns and grinding out Anderson Dos Santos, whereas well, Miles Johns, if he looks to start taking them down later, he's going to gas himself a little bit more. He's going to get into those desperation modes. And we know with these wrestlers, once they start getting desperate, they go back to their old habits. They go back to their immediate reflex. And that reflex from Miles Johns is to shoot. You don't want to just nakedly shoot on a guy like Anderson Dos Santos, who doesn't mind pulling guillotine and more often than not has a very nasty guillotine that it could potentially get you to uh, tap out with or go to sleep with. So I do like Dos Santos to actually survive that first round here and start getting his game going in the second and third rounds, landing the bigger shots, putting Maz Johns into desperation mode, and then eventually finding a submission. So the spots that I like, uh, Dos Santos inside the distance, Dos Santos by submission, and then Dos Santos in round three, as I do think that those are the best spots for Dos Santos to win this fight. Um, and yeah, I like the underdog here. I like Dos Santos to win this fight via third round submission. Khalid Taha versus Sergey Morozov. We got minus 140 on Taha and plus 120 on Morozov, the uh, Kazakhstani fighter. Let's start off on his side. He fell flat in his UFC debut, and you can't blame him, especially going up against a guy like Umer Nurmagomedov, who had a ton of success, and then eventually finding that submission victory in the second round. Khalid Taha, on the other hand, has a little bit of an up-and-down UFC career as well, but it seems like the fighters that almost have similar styles to Sergei Morozov have had some certain success with Khalid Taha. Now, Morozov isn't one of those... Um, 
you know, Russian or Kazakhstani-based fighters that just spam takedowns. They are comfortable enough on the feet to be serviceable and have some good success on the feet, with, especially with Morozov's hands, who I do believe has some decent uh, boxing technique. But they do have that wrestling to lean back on, which I think ultimately will be the reason that uh, Morozov ends up winning this fight. I do think that he'll be able to drag this fight down in the second and third rounds and truly show some success there with top control and heavy shots from on top. Whereas Taha has shown uh, issues in the past in terms of dealing with guys that look to grapple fuck him later on uh, later that fights go you know we saw nad naramani have a ton of success with it dragging him down time and time again we saw bruno silva had success in that second round pretty much controlling him for the majority of that second round he did it seem like have he did seem to have cardio issues that bruno silva that is he did seem to have cardio issues in that uh third round which ultimately led to kali taha choking him out uh and then in the following fight we saw him go up against a very talented fighter in ahani barcelos who was successful in takedowns but also very successful with striking and hurting taha and very very being very very close to potentially finishing him as well I do like uh, Murazov in this fight, though. I do think that he'll be serviceable enough in the striking to stay away from the big power of Kali Taha, as I do believe that that's the easiest and best way for Taha to win this fight is by potentially knocking out Murazov. But I think Murazov will strike with him for a while and then eventually make some takedowns and, you know, secure rounds, you know, maybe get late takedowns in the round, try to sway the judges, especially if the striking is very close for the majority of the round. Um, I like Morozov here as a dog. He's one of my favorite dogs on the card. I do think that he has the chops to wrestle here. Uh, Taha has a little bit of... Um grappling background i believe he was a, a d2 level athlete over there in germany but I, we all know that wrestling is completely different no matter where you go in the in in the world and we've definitely seen taha give up takedowns to plenty of other fighters and i expect morozov to be just as successful as other fighters have been against taha so i'm going sergey uh, I like Sergey Morozov um, a lot in this fight, and I think he's going to make a, a dent in this uh, uh, in in the UFC, especially when he's starting to get more favorable matches like this one. Even though he's the underdog, I truly believe he should be the favorite in this fight, and I think we'll see him go out there and grind this fight out en route to a decision victory. Amanda Lemos versus Montserrat Ruiz. We got heavy chalk on Amanda Lemos coming in at minus 550 and plus 425 is the return on Ruiz. Now, obviously, heavy chalk for Lemos, who's been looking absolutely killer in her last couple fights, especially her last fight against Lavinia Souza, where she was able to defeat her, starting with a power jab and then following it up with some ground and bound. She seems like she has a ton of power in her hands, and it's going to be very difficult for a woman at this weight class to deal with that power. Now, we have seen certain situations situations where Lemos has kind of given up takedowns and seems like she struggles at times to get back to her feet but she only has one loss on her on her record so that's something that we need to take into consideration because she does a good job of getting back to her feet nullifying the damage that's going to be coming from her from her opponents on top and then get her own striking game going eventually finding some uh finding knockouts more often than not as well so uh, i do like what lemos brings to the table in terms of her power ability to maneuver and really get her strikes going but she is going to be dealing with the takedown heavy game plan from the much shorter ruiz here who's going to have hell and high water to clear uh the distance and eventually land her own takedowns and try to replicate the performance that she had against cheyenne by bays in her ufc debut now uh ruiz not you know um 
unfamiliar to being a sizable underdog just as she was in her first UFC fight against Shane Bays. She pulled off the upset there and she could potentially pull off the upset here against Lemos. But I think that Lemos will do a good job in terms of maintaining that distance four inch height advantage as well as I believe a four inch reach advantage, which should uh, look really uh, wide, especially with Lemos landing those long strikes down the middle and that beautiful jab that she has, which has really busted up a lot of her opponents. I will say this about Lemos. I was very surprised with the success uh, that she was having on Lavinia Souza, who was a very high-level fighter and Victor Champ, you know, in her own right was like a minus 1400 in a couple fights of hers she's a very high level opponent but Lemos made it look so easy keeping her on the outside and just absolutely hurting her with pretty much everything that she tr uh, she threw and any strike that she threw ultimately it was the power jab like I said that planted uh, Lavinia on her butt and then some ground and pound for Lemos to get her out of there and I gotta believe that Lavinia Souza was looking to get the fight to the ground just as Montserrat Ruiz will be looking to but I think that uh, the heavy power that's going to be coming back their way from Lemos is going to be really tough to deal with so Lemos Lemos via first round KO is probably the way that I'm leaning here um but I'd be uh you know Ruiz obviously needs to get the fight to the ground maybe do her head and arm thing uh usually the the easiest way to get out of that position or the the best way to capitalize on that position is uh take the back of your opponent because they kind of leave their back open especially if they're holding on to that head and arm for some reason but with Ruiz as she showed in her last fight against Cheyenne Bays she has this crazy killer grip strength that she was able to keep Bays in that situation even when Bays was trying to you know latch on a hook or two to try to get the back Bay, uh, Ruiz just was not letting go and she was landing big big shots uh, to you know sway the judges in her favor uh, so yeah I, I I do still think that Lemos will be able to stay out of those positions I'd be surprised if she gets caught in one of those as I think as soon as they clinch up I think Lemos is going to be looking to break away and just get her striking going once again uh, but I think the power of Lemos is going to be too much for Ruiz here so once again I'm going to go with Lemos and I'll take her to win by KO. And I do think that she's going to be a very tough cookie to crack here at this division. And I think a lot of women are going to have some issues with it. I think a, a woman with a very strong grapple-heavy uh, grapple approach will have good success against her. But I just don't think that Ruiz is that woman that's going to be the one that, that gets success. So I'll go with Lemos. And I'm going to go with Lemos via, uh, via first round KO. Daniel Rodriguez taking on Preston Parsons, uh, short notice Preston Parsons, I should say, uh, plus 260 on the newcomer, minus 320 on D-Rod, and this fight seems pretty simple to break down, Parsons, Parsons seems like a fighter that's a banshee that comes out of the gate in terms of just going out there, putting on the hurt and on his opponents, and more often than not, he's able to dispose of them, but if he's not, it looks like he's a fighter that does um, suffer from cardio issues, and something that a few opponents have been able to take advantage of, most notably, um, uh, I want to say Vitor Araujo. Um, I completely am messing up the guy's name. I want to quickly make sure that I'm getting it correct. Valdir Araujo, I should say. Valdir, that's what it is. Valdir Araujo um, survives the early onslaught from Preston Parsons, then starts picking it up in the second round, even out striking Preston at a couple spots, and then eventually finishing in via guillotine choke near the ending of that second round. But then he goes on a four-fight winning streak after that, uh, defeating a guy that's 5-2, and 10-4, and 9-16, and 16, and then 10-7. and seven. So a uh, level of competition, definitely a lot lower than what he's going to be going up against uh, Daniel Rodriguez once he steps inside the cage. Now you'll notice the majority of Parsons' wins are coming in the first round. He's only been to the second 
second round twice where he's gone one and one like I said losing to Valdir Rujo and then obviously beating Jeff Patterson in his last or Jeff Peterson I should say in his last fight uh finishing him via armbar in that second round but it goes to show that a lot of his opponents almost seem like they're intimidated and almost defeated before the fight even starts they allow him to just swarm on him up against the cage landing takedowns almost at will and even just shelling up uh, against the cage allowing and allowing Preston Parsons to um you know just completely unload on them landing elbows body shots whatever it is because they're not moving and they're not throwing anything in return i will say this though that uh, combat night pro promotion that uh, parsons was fighting for very very small cage it's very reminiscent of wxc if you guys remember wxc uh, another promotion that justin james fought for but there's not not a room for a lot of opponents to really get out of the way of that banshee type style of parsons and not a lot of room for them to truly just you know get their own game going the Justin James when he used to fight for WXC the small cage was great for him because uh, opponents are trying to outstrike him and they're doing a really good job but they just have limited space to truly you know use their footwork and then move in to stay away from the big shots of Justin James that's why he, more often than not he was able to find the finish with his hands in those fights uh with Parsons it's almost the same thing like he goes out there he's a built like a brick shithouse goes in, uh, and just chases his opponents right off the bat and they have nowhere to really go and really where nowhere to really like use their footwork and, and kind of finesse their way out of certain situations he, they just almost give up it seems like and Preston's uh, Preston obviously has a ton of success in terms of putting these opponents out with Daniel Rodriguez though and obviously the bigger cage that we're going to be getting with the UFC obviously not the biggest cage in the UFC it's going to be at the apex here so it'll be the slightly smaller cage but it's still a lot of room for um Daniel Rodriguez to maneuver stay away from the takedown attempts and land his jab at will against Parsons here I fully expect Parsons to go out there and just swing for the fences look for the takedown and try to get that submission and if it doesn't happen I think that Daniel Rodriguez will do a good job of using that distance using his kickboxing and then eventually getting that finish as Parsons starts to slow down and becomes even more hittable so I do like Daniel Rodriguez here rightful favorite rightful chalk favorite as well but I do want to say Parsons could be dangerous early in this fight especially if he comes with that no fucks given attitude just moving forward throwing his big bombs trying to seek takedowns and then seeking a choke as well but I do think that Daniel Rodriguez has good enough jujitsu 10th planet guy if I'm not mistaken should be able to nullify the the submissions that are coming his way from Parsons and then getting his own striking game going the much more technically savvy striker who is going to be Daniel Rodriguez I think you'll find that finish as well the later that this fight goes because I truly think that Parsons has a bad gas tank he's gonna come fighting like a banshee as he always does he's gonna blow his muscles out he's gonna blow his cardio out and that's where rodriguez will take advantage and then eventually knock him out so i'm gonna go daniel rodriguez and i'll be taking him to win this fight via second round ko maybe even a third round ko if you guys want Gabriel Benitez versus Billy Quarantillo. We got minus 155 on Mowgli and plus 135 on Billy Q. Let's start off on the Billy Q side of things, who's coming off his first loss inside the UFC, where he got outworked by Gavin Tucker over 50 minutes, losing a decision that night. Uh, not a good look for Billy Q, but I was one of those few guys that was on Gavin Tucker in that spot, as I thought it was a great way for him to go out there and uh, showcase that he's the much better technical striker and fighter than Billy Quarantillo as long as that he can stay uh conscious and that's exactly what he showed us that night he was able to 
put on a good striking clinic against Billy Cornto and stay away from that Homer Simpson style of Billy Q. But I do think that Homer Simpson style of Billy Q will be effective against certain fighters in, in the UFC. And I do think that he'll be able to do that here against Gabriel Benitez. Now, Benitez, we know, aka product, something that he likes to do a lot is throw his, uh, his kicks. Uh, his kicks to the body are absolutely vicious. Just ask Justin James. He's probably still curled over from one of them. But I do think that Gabriel Benitez uh, does present some threats early here for Billy Quarantillo. The issue is, how does uh, uh, Mowgli Benitez deal with that pace and pressure of Billy Quarantillo the later that this fight goes? I do think that Billy uh, will be able to not break Gabriel Benitez, but at least start to swing the momentum the later that this fight goes. Uh, Benitez doesn't have a horrible gas tank, nor does he have a gas tank that really jumps off the page at you. But the issue is we just don't know what his cardio looks like when he's being pushed against the cage or or pushed on his back foot for the majority of the fight, as I expect him to be doing here against Billy Q, especially once that second round starts. My issue is Mowgli could win this fight, you know, win maybe eight minutes of it, and that should be enough for him to get the decision here. And then on the flip side for Billy Q, like he could end up winning eight minutes of this on the latter half of the fight and come home with a decision as well. Uh, I've I've always been big on Mowgli. He cashed for me obviously against Justin James in one of his recent fights. But I do think that Billy Q could be successful in terms of Billy Qing his opponent here. I think that he'll be able to take whatever Benitez is throwing at him early here and then start to put it on him the later the fight goes. And then I think he should be able to do enough at least to take the second and third round on route to a decision victory here. My issue is. How does Billy Q even react to those body kicks that Mowgli is going to be definitely landing him on, landing on him in this fight? That's definitely something that uh, Billy is going to have to worry about and try to defend. Not to mention, we know Mowgli is smart enough to, you know, feint those leg kicks to the body and then bring it up to the head. And that could definitely have some damage of its own, potentially even fight-ending damage as well. With that said, I do think that Billy Quarantillo will do a good job in terms of nullifying the amount of damage coming his way early in this fight and then getting his Billy Q game going, which is picking up the pace in the second and third rounds, taking home a decision victory over the experienced Mowgli Benitez. So once again, I'm going to be going with Billy Quarantillo and I'll take him to win via decision. Rodolfo Vieira versus Dustin Stoltzfoots. We got minus 220 for Vieira and plus 180 on Stoltzfoots. And last time around for Rodolfo Vieira did not go that great. A lot of people saw what could happen if Vieira does not get the early finishes on his opponents. And Anthony Hernandez was able to survive that onslaught from Vieira. It's almost like he accepted the fact that he was going to be taken down, but did a really good job in terms of his submission defense that he was able to fend off anything that Rodolfo was throwing his way, survived long enough until Vieira was really huffing and puffing, and then he really started to put it on him, not to mention getting a submission finish, which was very, very impressive for Anthony Hernandez to get that over somebody like Rodolfo Vieira. Dustin Stoltzfus, on the other hand, comes off of a loss to um, Kyle Dawkins, where he went out there and it pretty much got grapple fucked against Kyle Dawkins. Dawkins said that he wanted to show off his striking in that fight. It only took roughly about a minute for him to be like, fuck that. I have a clear advantage over this guy in this grappling realm. Let me take advantage of that. And that's exactly what he did that night. He was able to ground the fight and just control Stoltzfus on the ground. Stoltzfus did a really good job in terms of not getting submitted or TKO'd by any means, but uh, he definitely showed off his durability that night now I've definitely learned my lesson and I wasn't any I, I definitely wasn't one of those guys that bet on Vieira in his last fight but we did see um, you know when somebody has such a significant hole in their game especially with their cardio it's very hard to back them and I think that's going to be the that's going to be the case for Vieira moving forward 
I will look to fade him when I feel like I have a fighter that can do so and Stoltzfus could absolutely be that guy which is why I'm not going to be playing the chalk here on Vieira but I do think that Stoltzfus does have a decent shot in terms of surviving whatever Vieira is throwing at him the issue is it's just too easy to get Stoltzfus down and I think that Vieira will have a tremendous amount of success in terms of finding him there and at that point I think he will eventually find the submission however at minus 220 and even the inside the distance props are a little bit too chalky for me to give Vieira that love to put that put that money on him I am still going to take him to win this fight that line is just a little bit too wide for me to to attack I do think that Stolzfus has the better striking game but I think it's going to be nulled especially when this fight does end up hitting the ground but if this fight does end up hitting that second and third round I'll definitely be sweating that Vieira ticket if anybody is actually going to be taking a shot on him with that said, I think the spots that are are proper or at least solid to hit here would be the um, Stolzfus in round two, which is uh, plus two thousand or plus sorry plus uh, twelve hundred at certain spots, and then uh, Stolzfus in round three around plus seventeen fifty plus two thousand at certain spots. Those are the two spots that I would look at potentially betting if I was betting this fight at all. Otherwise, I'm just going to stay away from it. I do think that uh, Vieira does ground this fight relatively easily, and I do think that he eventually finds the submission as well. So I'm going to go Rodolfo Vieira, and I'll take him by first round submission. Matias Gamrot versus Jeremy Stevens. We got minus 210 on Gamrot and we got uh, plus 175 or plus 185 at a couple of spots on Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens. Now, this is a very intriguing fight. And when I did my live stream a little bit earlier, a lot of people were in discussions about this fight. This seemed to be the most highly debated fight on the card. You're talking about a minus 210 favorite and Matias Gamrot and the potential value that you could be getting on the UFC veteran Jeremy Stevens. I still end up coming out on the favorite side here, but I can completely understand why people are taking a shot on Jeremy Stevens in this spot. Now, Matias Gamrod, if you guys have been watching him for a while, especially in his KSW days, but you can definitely see it in his, uh, at least his UFC debut, the one thing that he likes to get done is try to get those takedowns. That's why he, that's where he finds most of his wins. That's how he's able to go out there and get his hand raised, especially 17 times, going 17 to 0 before coming over to the UFC and losing a very close decision to Gurum Kutateladze in his UFC debut. That fight against Grum is a is a decent indicator of what could potentially happen this weekend, especially if Gamrat is not able to establish top position and at least get some solid control time to sway the judges. We saw Grum give up a good amount of takedowns in that fight, but was managing to always get back to his feet, nullifying the damage that was coming from coming from on top, and then doing his own damage once the fight was in the striking room. And that's exactly what we saw and allowed him to get that victory and something that Jeremy Stevens could be potentially very successful in doing as well. Stevens has a decent takedown defense rate i believe it's around 65 percent but as of late he hasn't really been fighting a lot of guys that want to take the fight to the ground most notably the, the the most recent opponent that's been looking to get him to the ground over and over again is the beat magomed sherpov uh, who landed three takedowns but was only able to secure about two and a half minutes of control time as jeremy stevens did a really good job in terms of moving back to his feet gamrat on the other side when he does land takedowns it seems like at times that he does struggle to uh, control his opponents there but the one thing that he's always Always been able to kind of rely on is the fact that he's able to land takedown after takedown after takedown which allows him to at least get that uh, score in that realm and then get a little bit of damage on top to at least sway the judges uh both guys are going to be fighting in opposite stances here so i think the calf kicking game of jeremy stevens will kind of be nullified here i do think he'll still have some success with it but i don't think it'll be as effective as if he was fighting somebody with the same stance as him 
with that said, um, I do think that Jeremy Stevens hits a little bit harder than Gamrod. Gamrod does a decent job in terms of dictating the pace and knowing when to close the distance to get that uh, takedown. And one of his combinations or entries, I should say, that is very, very successful for him that I really enjoy is when he's fighting from that southpaw, or sorry, uh, from the, yeah, from the southpaw stance, throwing that left hand to close the distance. And as he's stepping, he uses that, 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 that uh, distance closer to get in on the legs, get that high crotch, and uh, get that single leg, and try to drag the fight to the ground, which he is more often than not successful in doing. I think he'll be able to have that same success here against Jeremy Stevens. Not to mention Jeremy going back up to 155 pounds, something that he hasn't been able to do in a long time. And I think that he'll definitely be able to see that there's a little bit of a strength uh, disadvantage that he's going to be at, especially going up in weight once again after a long, long time. If you guys do remember, he was scheduled to be at 155 pounds against Ricard Close a couple months ago but Jakar Close did uh, pull out of their fight the day before the fight if you guys remember the, he had that strain after that push that Jeremy Stevens pushed him with uh, right after they had cut weight so not a good look on Jeremy Stevens's part but at least now he's going to go in there and actually get back into the 155 pound division and I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table so what does Jeremy bring to the table right heavy striking decent takedown defense good movement heavy leg kicks and good power that's really about it you know, he doesn't often go out there and try to land takedowns. He did land a couple of takedowns against Yair Rodriguez in terms of, you know, stylistically speaking, that was the way for him to win that fight. But I'd be very surprised if he goes out there and tries to grapple fuck Gamrot himself instead of, you know, going out there and trying to chuck those big bombs and landing landing the damage on Gamrot. Uh, Gamrat obviously been spending a lot of time over there at American Top Team and I feel like the more training camps he's able to get under his belt the more comfortable he'll be there with in terms of uh, you know implementing the game plans that they're able to put together and I think that they're going to have a great game plan going into this fight against the guy in Jeremy Stevens who's been beaten as many times as he's been beaten so I think that Gamrat should have a slight advantage here in terms of landing takedowns and getting an okay control time at least swaying the judges with that control but i will be a little bit concerned uh the longer that this fight is on the feet and jeremy stevens landing the bombs that he's been landing so um Am I comfortable with Gamrot at minus 210? Not really, to be honest. I, the, the spot that I'd rather take is Gamrot via decision, which is, I think, around plus 200-ish. I'd be a little bit more comfortable taking that spot, uh, given the odds. But I do think that Gamrot wins this fight, and I'll be taking him to win this fight via decision. Here we go. We got the return of Misha Cupcake Tate going up against Marion Renault. And this is a very intriguing fight because we got Misha Tate coming back from a five year layoff slash retirement, as well as Marion Renault, 44 years old gonna be calling it quits after this fight she's on a four fight skid and she's hoping to at least snap that on route to going to a, into a retirement and hanging up the gloves now in terms of odds we're looking at minus 140 ish for misha tate and plus 120 for marion renault and i see this fight as a completely non-bettable fight like there's no reason to go out there and shell out money on a fight that has so many question marks especially on the side of the favorite who a lot of people are favoring including myself now, I do think that Misha Tate has a very easy way to go out there and win this fight, which is by landing the takedowns and grinding out Marion Renault. And I think that her grappling is good enough to stay away from the offensive guard that Marion Renault has showcased on numerous occasions. 
But the thing that gives me pause here is if this fight stays in the striking realm, uh, Mario Renault could definitely make it very difficult for um, Misha Tate to get her game going. Uh, the longer that this fight stays in the striking realm, the harder I think it's going to be for Tate to actually implement her own game and have success in this fight. And Mario Renault is somebody that a lot of people easily look after or look over and think that, okay, I can just continuously fade her and I'll continuously make cash. And albeit, you know, her last four fights, that is the case. But not a lot of people expect her to go out there and actually win a round off of Macy Kiasan, which is exactly what she did in that first round. She has uh, an aggressiveness with her Muay Thai striking, which I believe caused some women some issues. Uh, we saw Kiasan deal with it in that first round, obviously dropping that first round, but in the second round, she gets engaged in the dirty boxing clinching her up against the cage, overpowering her and just getting her damage off in those situations rather than just staying at distance and trying to pick her apart, which she was absolutely and picked apart by, by Marion Renault. So Renault was having a lot of good success in that first round. Uh, I do think that Tate will have success in terms of grounding this fight and grinding this fight out, but it's really hard to cap in terms of how much improvements, regression, whatever you want to call it, that Tate has gone through over the last five years until we see her truly inside the cage and actually letting her game go the last time we saw her she fell to Raquel Pennington via decision way back at UFC 205 and that was right after she had lost her belt to um to Holly Holm via decision or sorry via um not to Holly Holm sorry to Amanda Nunes where she got absolutely starched at UFC 200 um but she does still have the experience she does still have the wrestling chops that I think is going to be enough for her to con continuously ground this fight and win it via decision there's just again there's just too many question marks though regarding what Tate brings to the table especially at this uh this point of her career coming back after an extended period and it seems like she's been hard in the gym at least for the last year or so but uh, we all know the practice room the training room is completely different to the live action that she's going to be seeing this weekend against Maureen Renault so uh the longer that it stays on the feet I'm going to be you know sweating my ass off especially if i have a ticket on misha tate but as soon as misha tate grounds this fight i think she'll have a lot more success and she'll be able to control renault i don't know if she'll be able to find a submission of her own but i do think that she'll be able to at least get that control time some good damage from on top and take home a decision victory again be very careful about this matchup be very, very, very careful because Marie Renault has ways to win this fight. She's been the more active fighter, and albeit on an Orn four, you know, streak right now, um, she is the one that's been active. She has the, been the one that's been in the cage the last five years, you know, however long she's been competing, compared to Misha Tate, who's been, you know, I'm sure she's been training on and off. She's had two kids. She went over to Singapore, tried to work for One uh, FC for a while. That didn't seem to pan out as much, or at least the the itch to get back into the cage seemed to come out more for uh for misha tate while she was sitting on the sidelines so be very careful but i'm still going to be taking misha tate and i'm going to take her to win this fight via decision time for the main event we got islam mahashev going up against tiago moises we got minus 600 on mahashev and plus 450 on tiago moises now there's not a lot of people that are going out there and trying to fight a guy like islam mahashev given that one that he doesn't have that much uh, uh ranking and two you know he's still relatively unknown to uh the casual viewers so to go out there and risk your ranking as well as to risk your you know possibly losing as well is not worth the 
the payoff as well. So I completely understand why a lot of fighters are kind of brushing off the uh, the opportunity to fight him because I'm sure Tiago Moises was not the first choice when they were actually putting this main event together. And, uh, you know, Mahachev, you know, his hands are tied. Though Nobody really wants to fight him. So he has to take whoever is going to be uh, put in front of him. And luckily for him, the UFC is at least believing him in enough to at least give him this main event slot against Tiago Moises where he should be able to go out there and showcase his um his grappling acumen and then his skill set all in all now he's 19 and 1 very impressive record his only loss was his second fight in the UFC where he got knocked out by Adriano Martins and uh, that was probably a big learning lesson for him to go out there and improve his striking game improve his striking defense and it's definitely shown that he's grown leaps and bounds with the striking as well as his overall MMA game to truly flush out and potentially become a lightweight champion like his mentor Khabib Nurmagomedov Tiago Moy Moises, on the other hand, is a guy that's been improving on a steady basis ever since he made his UFC debut against uh, Benio Dariush. Since then, he's had an up and down road. He had that very close fight against Bobby Green, where a lot of people thought that Bobby Green deserved to win the fight. But, you know, it was a close fight. You can't be too mad at anybody that's actually taking a shot uh, and cashed on the underdog, Tiago Moises, in that fight. Now, with Islam Mahachev, his best way to win this fight is obviously implement his grapple heavy game plan, but he's playing right into the black belt, the high level black belt of Tiago Moises. However, I think that the wrestling approach and the heavy pressure that Mahachev brings with his grappling will be too much for Tiago Moises to, uh, to, to endure. And I think it's going to be very difficult for him to find instances to you know either find a reversal or even find a submission off of his back. As I do believe that Mahachev is very uh, defensively sound when it comes to the grappling game, especially when he's fending off to, uh, the submissions. The striking is where I think it's a little bit closer than most people expected it to be. Tiago Moises has always had a decent striking game, but the thing is, he's just always been too shy with the trigger. Like, if you watch his earlier fights, even before coming to the UFC, he shows good technique, good head kicks, straight punches, technical striking, but he's a little bit too lackadaisical in allowing his opponent to kind of dictate the pace, dictate the pressure, and then, you know, always put him on his back foot which doesn't always allow Tiago Moises to be the most effective with the striking. However, you are seeing an improvement, in it, especially in his fight against Alexander Hernandez last time around, where he just completely picked him apart over 50 minutes, landing the much better strikes and just completely breaking Alexander and uh, Alexander Hernandez sorry, en route to a decision victory. That was one fight where I tweeted out before the fight actually took place. I'm like, where does Tiago Moises win this fight? And he emphatically shut me up by saying that I can beat him anywhere, motherfucker. And that's exactly what he did that night. Uh, luckily for me, I didn't have Alexander Hernandez as a lock of the night play. I did have him as a two-unit play, but it still did end up crashing, which was obviously not uh, the ideal outcome for somebody that's backing him. But Tiago Moises showing good improvements. I will give it to him. He's only 26 years old. He was going five rounds back in the day when he was in the LFA and RFA, and he was only 21 years old at that time. So you got to believe that he's been making a ton of improvements as we've seen in the cage and obviously picking up the biggest one of his UFC career by dismantling Alexander Hernandez the way that he did in his last fight. However, I think he's going to be outmatched here with Mahachev. I truly believe, and most people might believe that um, 
Moises' best way to win this fight is catching uh, Mahachev in a submission of some sort. I disagree. I think his best way to win this fight is on the feet. Keep this fight in the striking realm and showcase that you're, you might have the te more technical uh, striking and you do definitely have some power in your hands and your kicks that could cause Mahachev some, uh, some issues here. Now, Mahachev, last time he went up against a very high-level black belt, he chose to strike for roughly about a round and a half before taking the fight to the ground and implementing his strongest uh, uh, strength, uh, very redundant to say that, but his strongest attribute, which is his grappling, and that was his fight against Davi Hamosh way back at UFC 242. Now, here against Thiago Moises, I think if he takes the same approach and stands a little bit too long with Moises, he might end up getting caught with something, so I don't want to see him, you know, striking with Thiago Moises for a prolonged period of time I'd hope that he strikes for maybe two minutes two and a half minutes and then look for a takedown to nullify the potential knockout power that's going to be coming back from the Thiago Moises side of things so even though Thiago Moises is a high level black belt I do think that he's going to struggle in terms of getting any sort of game going off of his back when he goes up against Mahachev and his wrestling but I do think that if the longer that this fight stays in the striking realm the more chances Moises will get to actually winning this fight so I'm going, uh, I'm still going Mahachev. I completely understand why he's minus 600. I believe it is justifiable, but the way, the way that I'm going to be attacking it is Mahachev via decision, as I do believe that he's going to have to play a very safe game here, especially in the striking and grappling realm. And I do think that the grappling of uh, Moises is good enough to keep him out of bad situations, bad grappling instances. And I do think that Mahachev will get the more dominant positions. But again, I don't think that he'll end up getting the finish here. The one last thing that I'll say about this is uh, Mahachev does. Uh, we do have the question about so we do have the question marks about Mahachev's cardio. He's looked great in fights that he's had to go three rounds, but now he has to go an extra two rounds, and I'm interested to see how that goes for him as well as Thiago Moises who has been five rounds uh, at least three times in his career now he's gonna have to do it up against a very tough opponent in Mahachev but I still think he's gonna come out on the losing end so I'm gonna be going Mahachev and I'll go with Mahachev via decision uh, which I think is roughly around plus 120 I think there's some solid value on that spot so once again I'm gonna go with Islam Mahachev via decision and that's a wrap on the breakdowns hope you guys enjoyed the episode as always just want to give a quick shout out to my plugs once again the patreon uh patreon link in the description below five bucks a month and you get a ton of access to all the content that i'm putting out there uh not to mention a great discord community as well where we give out picks just not on the mma world but also on other sports as well so shout out to all my guys in the discord there and then secondly coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll be sure to match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks so make sure you guys take full advantage of that all right hope you guys enjoyed the breakdowns hope you guys enjoyed the podcast good luck to you on uh the fights this weekend and i'll catch up with you guys throughout the week as you guys know always doing live streams for you guys uh to make sure we have all the bases covered for every single ufc event so i'll see you guys throughout the week but good luck on your bets and uh, i'll see you guys again next week for the mma lock cast as well